Hi, girl. Lolly. Rainy. How are you today? <laughs> I'm amazing. How are you? I'm amazing because today is our very first episode of Can't Handle the Crime and Scandal. It's a good day. Are we saying can't handle or can't handle? I think we have to say can't handle. I think we say can't handle because it's... Can't handle crime and scandal. That's our accent. Okay. Okay. This is a big story today, Shireen. I hope you're ready to strap on in, girl. I'm strapped in. I'm ready to go. There are a lot of twists and turns in the story. It, it's actually really sad. It's a very sad story. It involves the disappearance of two people. It involves a lot of mystery a lot of unanswered questions and potentially a wrongful conviction with a man still to this day sitting in prison. So, whoa, wow. Shall we get to it? Let's get into it. Let's go. So, Shireen, you live in New Zealand. I'm in Australia. I've, I've, been, I've been gone for a while. You have. But when you, when you think of... Uh, you know, big crime stories in New Zealand. There's only a couple that pop to mind. Is there any that really pop to mind? There are a few standout cases. There's obviously David Bain. We know David Bain. Mm. Yeah, that's a big one. And <laughs> that's a big one. It is a big one. And we also have uh, Ben Smart and Olivia Hope. Yeah, these are kind of, I guess, old school cases. I definitely think there's some newer ones that we'll touch on a little later, but these are probably, I would say, the the biggest, most controversial uh, stories in New Zealand history when it comes to murder mysteries. Absolutely. This is the case of Ben Smart and Olivia Hope. This was huge back in 19, what well, would have been 1998 in the media. Shane and I were only 11, so we weren't really paying too much attention no. to true crime back then. Probably a good, healthy thing. So December 31st, 1997, we've got Olivia and her older sister, Amelia, are heading out with a group of friends. They've chartered a yacht. Sounds pretty fancy. Mm-hmm. They've chartered a yacht called the Tamarack. Uh, they've got a group of friends and they're going out to the Marlborough Sounds. Beautiful spot. Beautiful spot. I feel like the Marlborough Sounds is kind of that picturesque vibe of when you think of New Zealand, that's what you visualise. It's these, So a sound is an inlet of water surrounded by sort of, I guess, land. It's kind of like a, a sunken <laughs> valley full of water. So it's like it's, these little... <laughs> It is very beautiful. Look, to be honest with you, I my first time going to the Marlborough Sounds was last year. Really? Actually for New Year's and we stayed at a friend's and it was right up on the hill. Really green, like bushy pathways and the water. It was it was stunning. So if you have not been, you just need to check it out. I actually don't know if I've been. I read online that a sound is a collection of ancient sunken river valleys filled with water from the Pacific Ocean. Mm. Beautiful. It sounds divine, and it truly is divine. So in the Marlborough Sounds was this kind of, well, I guess it was a bay or an inlet that had this location that everyone went to for New Year's Eve. It was called the Ferno Lodge. There were about 1,600 people that went. Really? Yeah, huge. So this is kind of like, yeah, I guess in this area, this was the place to go to for New Year's Eve. You can only arrive by boat. So you've got Olivia, who's 17, by the way, super young. I've got memories of her being like older because I was so little. Mm. Uh, So Olivia and her sister and some friends, they've chartered a yacht. They head to Marlborough Sounds to the Furno Lodge and 
they have to get a water taxi. So a water taxi comes and collects them from their yacht and brings them into the Ferno Lodge. We've got Ben Smart, who is just a friend of Olivia's. I don't, there's some speculation that maybe they were together. I don't know. I don't think it really matters. Little friend with some benefits, maybe. Ben was actually staying in an area called Punga Cove. And he actually drove to Ferno Lodge, but again, had to get a drive to a sort of a jetty, get on a boat, head to Ferno Lodge. So that is where Ben and Olivia have met up by chance. I don't know. Maybe it was planned. They have proceeded to have a party, ring in the new year with 1,600 other partygoers. There's a band. It's a great time. And the night's coming to an end and Ben and Olivia get on a water taxi and they head back to the Tamarack, which is their chartered yacht. Mm -hmm. So when they get to the Tamarack, they get on board and then they realize quite quickly that it's overcrowded. There's nowhere to sleep. And Olivia's, she's pretty pissed. I mean, I imagine you're paying a pretty penny to stay on a boat and it's probably something you plan. You know, if you're going to go to a, I guess, a lodge that you can only get to by boat, you're going to make sure you've got somewhere to stay, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so she's pissed. Is she, is she pissed as well? Is she she's pissed. pissed. I would say she's pissed and pissed. I guess. Yeah, right. She's gotcha. pissed. She's pissed. Nowhere to sleep. There is actually a bit of an altercation that has uh, broken out. Not physical, but there is some, I guess, some arguments going on on board. Ben is also there. He hasn't paid for somewhere to sleep. So it's kind of in this moment of tension that a water taxi is approaching the boat at the same time. So, And they're about to drop off Olivia's sister, Amelia, and Amelia's friend, Rick. So they essentially trade places. So Amelia and Rick come on board the Tamarack, mm-hmm. and Ben and Olivia get in the water taxi. So their plan is to go and find somewhere else to stay on land, which is going to be near impossible. It's Yeah, because at this point it's four in the morning, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Like, Olivia, Ben, just, you know, just push on through. Yeah, <laughs> just carry on. Yeah, well, biggest mistake that they ever made. So the craziest thing is this water taxi who was piloted, do we say piloting a boat? <laughs> He's the captain. Skippered. He's the captain of the water taxi. His name is Guy Wallace. <laughs> I actually don't know if it's called a captain of the taxi. <laughs> well, it's like an inflatable boat. So I just said piloted the boat. Listen, <laughs> I'm not a boat expert. But anyway, Guy Wallace is the guy and the guy that actually was skippering the, the water taxi. He has brought Amelia and Rick to the Tamarack. Ben and Olivia have hopped onto the water taxi. Mm-hmm. As they hop on the boat, they realize they're not alone. There is another two people, perhaps a couple. I'm really not sure. I'm not going to speculate. It's a guy and a gal. And this mystery man. Mm. This mystery man who at the same time was also on the boat with Olivia's sister. Put a pin in that. Very, very horrible feeling for Amelia's sister to reflect back on. At this point, there's now five passengers and one pilot skipper. All right. So (laughs) Ben and Olivia are chatting with Guy Wallace about the possibility of finding accommodation on land. And Guy's just like, you know what? It's going to be almost impossible. You're not going to find anywhere. This is such a remote location. People have planned to stay here, you know, months, probably even the year prior in advance to, you know, this massive party. So in this moment, the mystery man offers for them to stay on his boat. He's like, well, I've got lots of room on my boat. Yeah. Uh, he also made a bit of a, I'd say, creepy dodgy comment. He also ma- made a comment to Olivia saying, well, actually, you can stay, but he can't. Mm. Referring to Ben 
that kind of I feel like would be a bit red of a flag. red flag. Yeah. Yep. Different red flag. Red flag. Mm-hmm. But again, I guess they're, it's four in the morning. They've been drinking. They're tired. They're desperate to stay somewhere. So, sounds like uh, a good idea. well, I guess it sounds like the only idea, really. So, yeah. Guy then takes them out to this boat, which is actually a little bit further out. It's almost like the, so in this inlet, there's about 150 to 180 boats. So, a lot of boats there. And this boat was kind of like the last one in this bay. So, Guy proceeded to take. Ben and Olivia and the mystery man to this boat. And upon approaching this boat, Guy really noticed how beautiful this boat was. He has described it as a catch. I've learned a lot about boats, Shireen. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? A catch is a two-masted yacht or boat mm-hmm. or ship. I have obviously learned enough. So essentially it's a boat that has two poles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. That's a catch. <laughs> He's also described this catch to have round portholes, round copper portholes, and all this beautiful rope detailing. So uh, he's like, damn, this is a nice boat. Yeah. Sounds sounds beautiful. It's gorgeous. And he also says it has a blue stripe. It was so big. uh, Well, look, it's not like the Titanic, but it was definitely large (laughs) enough that when he pulls up to the boat, they don't have to sort of steady this yacht. They just climb aboard. It's quite steady and stable in the water. This will all sort of come back around very soon. So just keep the catch in mind. Now, this would in fact be the last time that anyone would see Ben Smart and Olivia Hope alive. Yeah, that's a terrible, terrible New Year's Eve, isn't it? We've gone away for New Year's Eve. Especially, I mean, my first New Year's Eve was 16 years old by myself. Not by myself, but uh, you know, away friends. from home with friends. Oh, it was so exciting, this newfound independence. So it's just when you kind of, you know, look at it from that perspective, it's just really fucking tragic. Yes. At this point, it's like after 4 a.m., Guy has the two remaining passengers on his boat. He's, he drops them off. Everyone goes home, goes to bed. And then it's not until the next morning when Amelia is kind of wondering where Olivia is, her sister. She's on She's on the tamarack. Um Amelia hasn't returned, and so I guess this is where they start to think it's just it's just out of character. I think she was actually scheduled to work on New Year's Eve as oh sorry New Year's Day as well. So Olivia was Olivia, yeah. So Olivia's dad actually, um, I think Amelia has gone home. She Olivia hasn't returned. She's supposed to go to work. Uh, so very out of character. But again, you've got to I guess give these guys a little bit of um, leniency. I mean, they're young and potentially. They're just sleeping in. It's New Year's That's Day. That's it. Yeah. Drunk. Maybe they're like, who knows where they are. January 2nd, this is where Olivia's parents go, enough is enough. We're going to go file a missing persons report. This is so out of character. It's not really until the 3rd or the 4th of January that the police really start to take this seriously. And they begin to start looking into the movements of Ben and Olivia. So we've got all of these eyewitness accounts on the boat when Olivia and Ben are on the boat trying to find somewhere to stay. They are also talking to the bar staff. They're doing their searches in the area and just trying to make a timeline of events. Upon doing all of their interviews with bar staff and some party goers, they begin to notice this man's name that kind of pops up quite a bit. And this is a gentleman that goes by the name of Scott Watson. So Scott Watson was definitely somebody who stood out on the night of New Year's Eve because he was just a bit of a dickhead. Mm. Uh, Starting fights with people, inappropriate banter to women, maybe a little groping here and there. Um, 
Yeah, so I think that this guy really did stand out. Uh, they've also spoken to Guy Wallace. He's the water water taxi skipper pilot, and he has mentioned this mystery man who he described as looking super disheveled, mm-hmm. sort of wavy, longish hair, not long like past shoulders, but, you know, like of a, I guess, mid, mid like for a guy, a long length hair is like, you know, shaggy kind of length hair, has a, a bit of stubble, like a, maybe a few days of a beard and also Just very- looks untidy. Super untidy. <laughs> looks like he's been out at sea for a while. Does, do we know how old he, he, what, he is? No, because you remember too, like, this is- dark there's there's lights on the obviously on the boat but not like shining down on passengers he's mm-hmm. been he's been water taxing people all night long uh guy wallace also was bartending that night so he also recalls seeing this mystery man at the bar alongside other people that worked at the bar have noticed uh this disheveled looking scruffy gross looking man mm. we're going to sort of veer off to Scott Watson because he quickly became a person of interest to the police So I want to sort of backtrack a little bit and talk about his movements on the night. So Scott Watson at the time was 27 years old. He actually lived on a boat, a boat that he had kind of renovated and built himself. This is known as a sloop. A sloop. Yeah, so so far we've learned about a catch. And now a sloop. A sloop. So a sloop's just a much smaller boat with uh, one mast. I see. Mm, So quite different. Yeah. 31st December 1997, Scott Watson goes, you know what, I'm going to go and head to that massive party at the old Ferno Lodge. So he gets in his boat, he lives in Picton, he heads to Marlborough Sounds. Upon entering the inlet, he actually notices somebody he knows, he recognises a boat. So he's got a friend on this boat, he goes over and he kind of moors with this, he moors, like he's getting, this, the boats are getting it on. Yeah. They anchor together. <laughs> so what actually happened was there was three boats anchored together, so all tied together uh, in the inlet. So it's almost like this kind of, like imagine you're in your car and you've got two mates that pull up and you're just like having a bit of a car party side by side. It's kind of like that, you know. Just in the water. <laughs> That's right, just in the water. So he gets on this boat with his friend, there's a whole bunch of people they're having drinks, they're preloading before, you know, heading to the old Ferno Lodge. So Dan's friend was at Ferno Lodge and saw that Scott Watson there. <gasps> no shit. What does he say about it? I think he was there with them, Olivia Smart and I don't know. Bullshit. Hey, no, because that's why Dan got really, like, obsessed with the whole case because he had that his friend was there. Should have got his friend on. Well, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, look, Scott gets on board he's he's tied to his friend's boat they're all anchored together he's having a bit of a, a preload pregame i believe that on i believe on this boat as a sort of you know having some drinks scott was just being a bit of a dick i just think he's just bad energy you know he's just one of those guys that you're like yeah stay away from him mm. um i'm gonna send you a little picture right now and i just want you to take a look it's a very grainy picture you gotta remember this is in 1997 so if you zoom in there's a there's a guy there with no um his eyes haven't been blacked out so paint us a picture rainy like how would you describe this man like what does he look like to you uh well he looks like he's sleeping um look okay he probably looks a bit cocky maybe a bit full of himself uh definitely looks like he'd like to have a drink <laughs> He's got a drink in his hand. Now, I love that we've just done a character read. What does he actually like physically look like in dog? (laughs) Shereen's very good at looking at someone and just don't hear anything about Hey, I'm all about reading people from first looks. So, okay, what physical? He's got dark hair, 
Yeah, I'd say he looks like mid-twenties. He's wearing a blue top and a white T-shirt underneath. Yeah, just looks like a... Clean-shaven? Clean-shaven, looks short hair. Would, how would you, like, if you saw him, would you think he looks like... He does look like a normal, like quite tidy, you know, tidy clean He does man. look, yeah, clean-shaven and, from what I can see, pretty respectable clothing and not yeah. scruffy at all. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, put a pin in that. So, anyway... Scott's just being a bit of a dick. He's probably, you know, had a bit too much to drink. He has then got a water taxi around to two o'clock-ish. He doesn't have a watch, so he this is just a guess. And he's gone back to his sloop where he has tried to find some people to party with. you got to remember these are, there's three boats all sort of anchored more together, so he's not ready to go to bed. He goes aboard one of the other boats. People are sleeping. They're like, fuck off, Scott. Like, we want to go to bed. It's mm-hmm. done. New Year's Day, like, go to bed. He's chasing the fun. He's chasing the fun. He is. And yeah. uh, he quickly realises that there's no fun here, so he goes to sleep, according to his recollection of the night. He, he's saying this is around two. Apparently the next day, he is back on the waters at 6.30 in the morning. Super early, if you ask me. That's a bit early, isn't it? But anyway. Well, a couple hours sleep. It's, yeah, definitely. Yep. It is early. But I suppose you, if you're sleeping on a boat, maybe you wake with the sun. Yes, you could. So he gets up 6.30 and he heads to a friend's place where he apparently stays for a few days. And it's not until after when he returns to Picton, he realizes that, holy shit, you know, there's this, um, holy shit. <laughs> so, so, so Kiwi. Holy shit. Holy sh- Well, he is a Kiwi after all. Holy shit. <laughs> there's this massive investigation going on. Some people have gone missing. The police have made, you know, this sort of public announcement. They want to speak to everybody who was at the Ferno Lodge. They want to look at all the... All the boats, everything, all the action that was you know going on that night. So he uh, he goes to the police station, January seventh, have a chat, have a chat, let it be known that he was there. And I think the cops like, ah, Scott Watson, we actually know all about you, mate. So they've had their first interview, January seventh, and he's actually asked to come back the next day for a second interview. And this is where they have issued search warrants for the blade. So very quick turnaround. You're going to remember we've had, you know, January 1st, these guys go missing. The third and the fourth is where they start to really, you know, begin to make this investigation known to the public. And January 8th, we've already got a search warrant for Scott's sloop. So I think that is actually quite fast. Yeah, it is fast. It is fast. And there's a few things that are kind of strange because you've got Guy Wallace, old waterman taxi Guy Wallace, who has told the police that he dropped Ben and Olivia off to a catch, mm-hmm. a two-masted boat, and we've got Scott who has a sloop. So just to kind of like make you understand, I'm sending you a picture. Now, I don't want you to read the character of this boat, all right? Are you just... sure? I'm pretty good at reading things also. <laughs> Have a little look. Like, can you just paint a picture for um for our listeners? I would say it's a large boat. You've got your two Two masks. massive poles erected to the sky. Yes. Uh, underneath, which looks like there's windows. One, two, three, four, five, six windows there. Quite nice, isn't it? It is nice. It, yeah, it just looks like a, a large uh, sailing boat. Yeah. So, listen, I'm going to now send you Scott's sloop named Blade. <laughs> I mean, just tell me what you're seeing. Uh, right. This is a very, very small boat compared to the catch. Obviously, it's got one pole erected to the sky. <laughs> it's a bit grotty, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You can sleep in there, obviously. But it's just what I would say is a 
teeny tiny sailing boat. Teeny tiny. And also, I have to say, if I came up to this boat with some mystery man and Ben, if I was Olivia, I feel like I'm not fucking sleeping in that. Absolutely not. It just it actually looks dodgy. And to be fair, I don't actually think you could sleep. No, well, there was a, there there. was actually only one sleeping space. There was definitely no room for any anybody else. And as you can see here, we've actually got the little inflatable boat. I mean, that could sleep. Man, that could sleep one. No, this is the what the water taxi looked like. Oh, that's a water taxi. Yeah. Jeez. So, so and okay. and Guy Wallace has you know said that when he dropped them off to this catch, the the boat was super stable in the water. Whereas if you can imagine pulling up to this boat, I think that thing is going to be rocking and swaying and. Almost capsizing. And the other thing, you've got Olivia who's left the original accommodation. There was nowhere to go. I, don't, I just don't think going into a small boat like this when there, it does only sleep one would be appealing. I would just go back. I'd just, go, just back go back to the Tamarack and I would just sit on the stern and wait for yeah, sunrise. Definitely. The other thing that is a little strange is, remember this boat was actually moored with two other boats. So I just feel like if there's... There would be a bit of commotion going on, you know, a bit of rocking and swaying. All these people mm-hmm. were boarding this boat. So there were definitely, you know, I guess witnesses. Well, not witnesses, but people around. Yes. Perhaps if something had happened, surely someone would have heard something or felt something in the waters. Absolutely. They've got a search warrant. They're searching the boat. They're doing all these interviews. The police are interviewing all these people. There have been multiple sightings of this catch, this beautiful boat. It just wasn't something that you would not See, it was so you'd, beautiful. You'd notice. There was actually a gentleman named Ted Welsh who was a, he operated chartered boats and he actually had a sighting on January 2nd. He recalls seeing this boat several times and he just couldn't kind of keep his eyes off it because it was so beautiful. It had all this ornate rope detailing, the copper portholes. It was just so beautiful. And he saw it heading out to sea on January 2nd. I believe he was quite uh, away, away from Furno Lodge when his sighting uh, happened, but There's just been multiple sightings. Um, But the problem was back in 1997, you know, we don't have things like iPhones or Instagram. And you can imagine if it happened today, there'd be so much footage of the water and all the boats. You know, people were getting all their Snapchats and their Instagrams. Mm -hmm. But they had to kind of go on people's disposable cameras. So they had to, you know, retrieve everybody's disposable cameras that were there. They processed all the film and the police just didn't see this catch in the water. They couldn't see it anywhere. Not one, not one, not photo. one photo, but they didn't really have wow. many photos. And there was one, actually, there was one woman who had said that her camera definitely would have had this catch on it, but her mm-hmm. film was misplaced and they lost it. Wow. I know. Whether or not that's true, I just don't know. They've actually deployed the Navy and the Air Force as well to try and, I didn't read that they actually had a specific search, but they let it be known that they're looking for this catch. They think it could be sort of end of New Zealand or maybe heading towards Australia, but they can't, no one can find anything. So who knows what wow. direction this yacht could have potentially gone in. Could have, could have gone, anywhere. gone anywhere. So upon the search of the sloop blade, the police mm-hmm. think they've found some pretty compelling evidence. Circumstantial nonetheless, but compelling. So they decide to seize the boat out of the water. So they take the sloop and they proceed with their forensic search and investigation of this vessel. Some of these things that they find quite compelling, there's some scratch marks on the hatch. Now the hatch is sort of, I guess, where you kind of appear out of the little cabin. Mm-hmm. So they're immediately thinking, oh, this is obviously where... Olivia or Ben has tried to scratch their way out. A horrible, horrible sight to visualise. Awful. The odd thing is that, is that the hatch actually locks from the inside. Right. So it doesn't really make sense if you're going to hide someone 
and walk, you know, keep someone captive if the lock's yes, on the inside. But then you could also like put something on top of the hatch, I suppose. They have found some cushions that have some holes cut out of it so that the fabric's been cut out. So they kind of think that, oh, obviously this is some blood stains where they've, he's cut the blood stains out. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, it could be anything. <laughs> spe- you're speculating. I know, but also like, are you that dumb that you're just going to cut out some blood splatter and keep the cushions? Maybe, maybe throw them out or yeah. burn them. Could be another option. Now, probably one of the most suspicious things about the sloop was that it was actually repainted just after New Year's. Right. Mm. Sounds dodge. Is that was that inside and out? Outside. The whole thing. Oh, the whole outside, outside has been changed colour. Right. Sounds dodgy, but if you actually, and I think this is what was put out there to the media, so it's like, oh, he's trying to disguise his boat. But we've got reports of this catch being blue. And Scott's sloop was actually white with a red maroni kind of stripe, and he's painted the stripe blue. Right. So, like, why would he paint it blue when the cops are looking for a boat with a blue stripe? Yeah, that seems odd. And obviously, he's painted that after the reports of this blue and white. No, boat, he wouldn't have he known because he's painted. I think when he's been at his mate's house and he's come back, and then yeah. So, oh, but there is. Right. I did find there was some evidence that he had actually planned to paint it prior to New Year's, so it's, look, who knows? But they think this sounds dodge. And look, it does sound a bit dodge. They've also um, taken some items for forensic examination. So one of the main things in, in this trial, in this case, was a blanket. So this blanket was taken off. I believe they took it to Auckland. They've taken it to a lab. They've done a few different tests. There's a, a woman, I actually don't remember her name. This lady, the uh, forensic examiner, searched the blanket. She has found 400 hairs. Whoa. Yeah, so quite a lot. That is a lot. Yeah, and this actually, this blanket's been examined as early as 14th of January. So they've gone and sealed all the um, the hairs. Do you know that you can't pull DNA from a hair unless it has the little follicle? Yes, I did know that. Jeez, all right. Well, is it still to this day? I don't know. Maybe there's like more advanced testing. Uh, look, I'm not really sure, but you'd think that's kind of the part that's attached to the scalp, right? Every, the rest of it's just dead. Yeah, true. If they found one of my hairs, there's so much bleach on here. I don't know if they, <laughs> all my DNA has been bleached out. <laughs> there's nothing to see there. So they've they've looked at all these hairs. They've actually examined the examined the blanket again, the 20th of Jan, and then this blanket and evidence has been put away. These are all just like little short brown hairs, and they feel like they they can't really determine if it, one was Ben's or one was uh, Scott's because. They're all the same. So they haven't really found many with follicles to test beyond, like, I guess, just visually looking at them. So at this point, they're really trying to find some blonde hair. So fast forward to March. Now, the blanket is examined for a third time. And lo and behold, what do do we find? Two blonde hairs. Not tiny little blonde hairs. One was 10 centimetres and one was 25 centimetres. So, like, can you tell me, like, how does that happen? (laughs) That sounds incredibly dodgy. Sounds like bullshit. I mean... That's yeah. That's definitely yeah. If you're going to find 400 hairs and you're going to bypass two long pieces of blonde hair, that just doesn't make well, sense. Well, what actually happened was the very same day that they are examining this blanket again, they have a little, I guess, forensic bag that has the hair from Olivia in it that I've retrieved from her house. So this bag has been examined on the same table as this blanket and it turns out that the bag had about a one centimeter hole in it well isn't that convenient i know so i just think like obviously the blonde hair would have been found first and i also think that 
now you're just planting doubt because this was actually yeah. included in the trial. So it's like you just don't know. You don't know if the hair was there. You don't know if it wasn't, but it's there. So where did it come from? I don't know, but it's just putting that kind of, I guess, it's planting that seed, isn't it? Of course. That she was potentially in the boat. Mm-hmm. So anyway, at this point, it's not looking good for Scott. He's arrested for their murder in June. Wow. So six months later, Scott's put under arrest. There is no bodies. There's no blood evidence. There's literally nothing in the boat. There's no, they did, you know, thorough searches. There's no, there's nothing. There's nothing that can tie, you know, any sort of forensic evidence to Ben and Olivia apart from these two blonde hairs and just Scott being a bit of a dodgy character. Uh, he's got a bit of a bad history of, um, as, a t- as a teenager, getting into trouble. He had mm-hmm. actually about 48 convictions. It's quite a lot. Wow. But most of them happened in his teenage years. So mm-hmm. so anyway, it goes to trial. It goes to trial and there are several people during the investigation and interrogation that have said that Scott was not the mystery man. He was never pulled up and uh, out of the sort of photo lineup. A guy couldn't pull him out of the lineup. Olivia's sister hasn't been able to pull him. Like anyone that was in the boat, they he's not the same person. And look, that boat is that boat taxi is tiny. You you're going to be yeah. sitting pretty close to a mystery person and to, to and know. actually get a good look at them. That's right. The police have also said publicly that this catch just didn't exist. People are mistaken. After all all of the you know confirmed well not confirmed sorry all of the witness sightings of this boat. It's everyone's mistaken. Wow. And also this mystery man that people have seen on the boat and in the bar didn't exist. So they're saying that Scott is the mystery man Mm -hmm. and the sloop is the catch. So it goes to trial. At this point, Scott's name's been dragged through the mud and the media. I, I imagine that it would have been almost impossible for a jury not to have heard of Scott Watson. I mean, New Zealand's so small. Things like this just do not happen in New Zealand. They don't. There were some other things that happened at trial. Very unfortunate things that happened. So they had about 500 witnesses. So there's a lot of people. There's a lot of witnesses. That's a lot. Guy Wallace actually changed his testimony and had said that Scott Watson probably was the man on the boat. So he actually, at about eight weeks after the disappearance, so there'd been multiple interviews, uh, you know, looking at multiple photos. He's seen Scott Watson's face a bit. He points to this photo of Scott Watson in a lineup and said that this guy, the eyes are kind of similar. If it's anyone in this lineup, it's probably this guy. What What do you see? You could do some character analysis on this one. <laughs> tell me what. Tell me how you feel about this man. Is this Scott Watson? Mm-hmm. What vibes are you getting? Honestly, I'm getting dodgy vibes. Paint me a picture. His eyes are kind of a bit. He almost looks like he's got lazy drunk eyes a little bit. He hasn't got a smile on his face. He's just quite a blank expression. He just looks a bit scruffy and he looks, yeah, he just he doesn't look approachable. Doesn't look nice. He doesn't. No. So this photo is actually mid-blink. Yeah, I can and, tell. Yeah. So if you look at this next photo, this is like him with his eyes wide open. Uh, he looks, can you do me a character, <laughs> character reference on this one? He looks, I don't know, he looks, he, there's something kind of funny about him. He looks yeah. like he's, yeah. He's Isn't that look, amazing? Like just the eyes can change everything. So He doesn't look like he, uh, yeah, the other person looks dodgy. He looks like just a nice normal guy. I think the cops like hit the jackpot when they, yeah. they got this mugshot with this half blink because they, they've then 
ta- taken his normal mugshot out, replaced it with his half blink mug- mugshot, which obviously makes him look a bit sinister. Mm. And Guy Wallace has said, yeah, this could be, it's not him, but like maybe the eyes are similar. Yeah. There's another woman who has said the same again, because it's the eyes. This, this mystery man was very drunk, super de- disheveled. So yeah, maybe he had like super, you know, lazy sort of squinty eyes being so drunk we all get drunk eyes also there was a lot of pressure on guy wallace this is the water taxi man during interrogation they have sort of implied that well you were the last the last person to see them alive so maybe you had something to do with it yeah so now all of a sudden guy wallace is freaking out because he's potentially being tied to this case so wow it's yeah it's really unfortunate so the trial lasts i believe it was about 11 weeks and ultimately scott watson was found guilty this is in September 1999. As he's been taken away, he's yelling to the jury, you've got it wrong. He's very upset. If he didn't do it, rightfully so. Like, can you imagine? Oh, I just feel that the whole thing has, the police are just obviously trying to get any little evidence they have to suit to suit their case because they have no one, right? That's right. That's terrible. So he's sentenced to life in prison. He's got a 17-year non-parole period. He has always maintained his innocence. You know, if he didn't do it, fair enough. But it also goes against him because if he's not showing any signs of uh, regret, remorse, then he's not going to be given early well, release. I guess, yeah, getting early release or that he's he's sort of staying in, in prison after that non-parole period. So he has tried to appeal four times and it's been denied. Uh, he even tried to get a royal pardon, which took four years for the decision to come through. And they say no, like, can you imagine? And there have actually been some new developments in the case, which is really, it's super interesting. So in 2020, they have appealed again. That's so sad. I didn't know any of this stuff. There's like, this is horrible. It's fucked up, isn't it? It's actually horrendous. It's horrible. Clearly it's not him. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, how could they even, like, there was a a hole in the bag. I know. And it's the only bit of evidence. Like, would you not have a little bit more? Would there not be, like, if there was, if they were on that tiny little boat, there would have to be some sort of, like, DNA, fingerprints, something, sure. Well, even if there's scratch marks, it'd be DNA in the scratching from, I mean, because that would be pretty hard to scratch solid wood. I think during the trial, too, they sort of painted this picture of, you know, poor Olivia trying to scratch her way out of the hatch, which he's actually, Scott's actually said that it was his niece and nephew that had a stick that was scratching it. And you can see the scratch marks going beyond the hatch, so it would have been when the hatch was open. So anyway, the whole thing's ridiculous. In 2020, they've lodged an appeal again, and I believe it's actually under, um, I guess there's a new hearing for the appeal. So I think that means that it will be determined whether or not he will get his appeal and they are allowed to submit new evidence. This is really, I guess, exciting for Scott if he is innocent because it's an opportunity to not only clear his name and be free, but to give the New Zealand public a new idea of what's happened to him and and Mm -hmm. that he was wrongfully convicted. And again, we just don't know for sure. 2020, this new appeal is potentially underway. It's 2024. He's still waiting. It has been delayed and delayed. It's horrendous. So it was supposed to be, the hearing was supposed to be last year. It's been pushed back to June this year. Really unfortunate for him. Guy Wallace actually committed suicide in 2021, I believe. Really? Yeah. And that really horrible, horrible thing for um, obviously Guy Wallace and his family. But I imagine the, the pressure that he went through to just sort of lead the investigation to this, you know, this boat and this man and 
he became quite a very, like, it's a very well known uh, name and person in New Zealand. And I just think that would be just such a heavy burden to carry around with you to know that you were the last person to have these people on your boat. You drop them off and they were never seen again. I just like, what does that do to a person? Yeah, it would be a really hard thing to carry. That's really, really sad. It is really, really sad. Moving forward with the appeal, not ideal for Scott Watson either, because now the biggest witness in this case is no longer around. So look, overall, just really shit. It's really terrible. And just quickly, so he was a non-parole period of 17 years, but he's been in there for how long now? 24 my gosh, that's really... That's crazy. That's crazy. It, it sounds like he didn't do it. Like, we don't know. We don't know, but there's not a lot of a lot of evidence. So to be in there and potentially it, he is innocent, it's a very, very, very long time. Yeah, and I think, you know, the New Zealand public were super um, anti-Scott Watson in the beginning, but there has been a lot that has come out over the years. There's been a lot of documentaries. So if you're sort of intrigued, you can go and watch a few documentaries on his, they think he's innocent. This, you know, wrongfully convicted man is in jail and the real murderer is still on the loose. So it's just shit. Ben and Olivia have never been found. There's never really been, you know, full closure for the family. I, I believe that Ben's family believe it was Scott Watson. Olivia's dad actually was wanting to be convinced that it wasn't. He'd been wanting to see, meet with Scott in person for many, many years. And in 2016, he actually had the opportunity to go and see Scott in prison and sit down and have a chat with him. So he was really hoping that this would be the opportunity for him to let him know that it wasn't him. But he actually, Olivia's dad, sort of walked away from that, not being convinced. Really? Yeah, he did. But I I think that Scott's angry. He's lost his appeal four times, multiple times where they've said that he would be a risk to society. He's very angry. Uh, They don't think he would be safe to be out in the public. He was caught having drugs in his system a couple of times. But, you know, I also feel like if you've been like, if your freedom's been taken away from you, you're sitting in a frigging cage for something that you didn't do, like, I'd be fucking pissed off too. I'd be so, you mean, you'd have to make peace with it, but I'd be so, I'd be so bitter. Oh, you would be. Uh, yeah, I just can't believe that there's not a lot of evidence and he's still held behind yeah. bars for so long. And look, yeah. we don't know. We, do, we don't know, but it's looking from the outside and it does very much look like circumstantial evidence yeah. and uh, nothing real, real solid. And also, if he did do it, I mean, he's a, he's a fucking genius. <laughs> well, think about it. Within a couple of days, he's put the body somewhere in this small little area in the you know up of the South Island in New Zealand. He hasn't gone out to sea mm. in his little teeny weeny dinghy. No, unless he's you know gone to land and buried them. But I know there was extensive searches done, dive teams, extensive searches done in the water, extensive searches done on land. They've done a lot of sort of mapping out where his boat could have got to, and they've never found anything. So I don't know. I think like if I can speculate on what maybe happened, mystery man. And his big catch, which wasn't, it wasn't like a sailing boat. It actually was a motorboat. Perhaps he has gone out to sea. Sailing boats do also have motors in them, you know. You can just switch that motor off and you sail. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. See, who's the boat expert now? Hey, I watch a lot of Below Deck and there's a sailing one. (laughs) I don't think that you want that to be known, that you watch a lot of Below Deck. I love Below Deck. I don't know if that's something to be proud of. But in this case, it probably came in handy. Yeah, perhaps the mystery catch has gone gone out to sea far, far, far away from here and the bodies have been, you know, dropped into the ocean. Yeah. I just don't see, like, within a couple of days you could drop the bodies around New Zealand and they wouldn't come to shore. I just feel like it would have to be so far away from this location. That's right. They did say it was looking like it was going 
in the direction of Australia or somewhere else. So they could, yeah, they could have potentially um, been dropped anywhere in the ocean and you'd never know. Yeah. So look, that's where we're at. I don't know if we'll ever know where Ben and Olivia are. And I don't know if we'll ever know who truly did it. Maybe it was Scott, maybe it wasn't. But that is that is the case of Ben Smart and Olivia Hope and Scott Watson. It was a long one. It was a big one. I actually have left so much out. Like it's just, it's just endless. It's too much. But that's it in a nutshell. Well, it's very sad. And tell me, can you handle that story, Shrine? Do you know what? I actually can't. There's a lot of mystery around it and a lot of questions. So today I cannot handle. Yeah, I can't handle either. I feel like after all of my own investigation, because I am a detective. (laughs) Yeah, I just think that I, I... I don't know for sure, but in my heart, I feel like Scott was, wasn't involved. And uh, yeah, I can't handle that. I think it's really fucking tragic. It's tragic for the families. It's horrible to think what Ben and Olivia went through in their final moments, their final hours, days, whatever happened to them. And this poor man that's just locked up in jail with, you know, his life's, life's been ruined as well. And, and the family too. Like, it's just, it's just shit. I can't handle it. It that's sucks. Terrible. Well, I think, you know, there, like you said, in June, is there, there's the appeal. So yes. maybe, maybe we revisit this in June or July or yeah, however long update. it takes and we can uh, do a little update. All right, Rainy. Well, that's our first episode of Can't Handle the Crime and Scandal. Well, thank you for being a great host and uh, telling me the story. There's a lot of missing pieces that I maybe I just didn't remember because it's been a long time. So it's a bit of a refresh, but it's all very interesting. All right, Rainy. We will chat soon. All right, Lolly. You have a good one. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.